All right, good morning. It's great, great to be in worship with you uh, today as we continue our series in uh, the book of Titus. Um, one, when, when, uh, when my kids were smaller, one of our favorite movies as a family uh, was Over the Hedge. And Over the Hedge is a story of a street smart raccoon named RJ who gets into uh, a great deal of trouble uh, after attempting to steal a large bear's cache of food. The bear gives RJ one week to actually return all of his food, or else RJ will himself become a snack. Uh, as it begins, his uh, as he begins his desperate quest, RJ stumbles upon a close-knit but naive group of animals just beginning to forage for themselves after emerging from hibernation. In this scene that you're about to see, RJ, he actually attempts to persuade his new acquaintances that Suburb-dwelling human beings are the key to gathering all the food that they'll ever need. After passing through the hedge, separating the forest from suburbia, Vern the turtle says, could we, we just get the food and go? Because he's really afraid. R really, do they have it or not? And RJ's answer, um, they've got all the food with them. They've always got food with them. We live to eat, or we, actually, we eat to live. These guys live to eat. Let me show you what I'm talking about. He then takes his friends on a whirlwind tour of human life from an animal's perspective. Check out the clip. Could we just get the food and go, really? Do they have it or not? Didn't you see? It was in the box. They've always got food with them. We eat to live. These guys live to eat. Let me show you what I'm talking about. The human mouth is called a pie hole. The human <laughs> being is called a couch potato. That <laughs> is the device to summon food. That is one of the many voices of food. That is the portal for the passing of the food. That is one of the many food transportation vehicles. Humans bring the food, take the food, ship the food, they drive the food, they wear the food. That gets the food hot. That keeps the food cold. That, I'm not sure what that is. Ah, what do you know? Food! That is the altar where they worship food. That's what they eat when they've eaten too much food. That gets rid of the guilt so they can eat more food. Food, 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 food! So, you think they have enough? Well, they don't. For humans, enough is never enough. <gasps> now, that's a funny clip of a reality in our world. It's all around us. We can't escape it. We need it. Yet it seems like we don't know how to relate to it. We either abuse it or by having too much of it, or we abuse it by not having enough of it. We try to control it with our willpower, and unfortunately, it ends up controlling us. We starve ourselves. We stuff ourselves. I'm talking about food. 
Uh, we, all, we all have a relationship with food, whether it is a good or poor relationship with it. Listen, I've had my own battles with food. I'm quite sure you have as well. Again, this is not about condemnation. This is not about shaming. This is really about discipleship. Food is about our following Jesus. Uh, again, again, sometimes we don't think that we have a problem with food because we don't have the typical disorders of bulimia or anorexia or because we, you know, we don't pay attention to the scale or, you know, we talk about being overweight and underweight and all of those things can manifest in our distortions about food. But our relationship with food is more than dealing with weight and scales and bulimia and anorexia and distortions. It really is about discipleship. It is about giving God control over every part of our lives, including the food we eat. Or you're asking, well, what, what does food have to do with the message today? And what does food have to do with spiritual life? And what does food have to do with following Jesus and being transformed by him? Should we even care about it? It is just food, Marvin. We, we have to have it and we have to eat it to survive. It's just food. I come to church to hear a song and a message about my hope in Jesus. Well, I would submit to you that our food, the food we eat, has everything to do with following Jesus. It has everything to do with being transformed by Jesus. It, had, it has everything to do with submitting our lives to the control of the Spirit of God so that we might live godly lives even with the food that we eat. Remember, this is not about condemnation. This is not about um, a, a shaming or anything. This is really about how you and I relate to food in the presence of God. Again, we're talking about this in the book of Titus. Now, in this series, uh, this series of messages that we've been doing in Titus, we have been discussing relevant topics, and this is, I would think, a relevant topic. Now, though Titus is talking to leaders and equipping leaders to lead the churches on the island of Crete, um, that the things we've been talking about, they are relevant to every follower of Jesus. Now, we're calling, we have to circle back before we dive into the message. We're calling this series Exiles because as followers of Jesus, we should feel like strangers here in the world. Why? Because we live according to a different value system than those who don't follow Jesus. The way we talk about sex should be different. The way we talk about money should be different. The way we talk about uh, uh, sex and, and food should be different. The way we talk about humility should be different. The way we live our lives should be different. And so we should feel like exiles here on planet Earth because we operate based on a different way of living. And so today we're talking about food and 
Well, where do we see that? Well, we see it in Titus chapter 1, verse 12, and uh, we'll start at verse 10, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silent, he's talking about false teachers, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach, and we're going to talk about that down the road. And then... um, He says what they ought not teach. And then verse 12, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and here it is, lazy gluttons. Now, this verse gives us an opportunity to talk about food. It gives us an opportunity to talk about what, how you and I should relate to food as followers of Jesus. It gives us an opportunity to talk about self-control, being under the control of the Spirit of God. I think this is a perfect topic to actually talk about how self-controlled or uncontrolled we are, and I think food is one of the perfect topics to talk about it. Well, he says he calls them gluttony or gluttons, and we don't really talk about gluttony. We talk about a lot of other things, but we don't talk about gluttony very much. And so what is gluttony? And here it is. This is a a general definition. Gluttony is an excessive greed for food. It is unrestrained self-indulgence. It is the opposite of godly moderation and self or spirit control. In short, gluttony is an unhealthy relationship with food. Now, we can be gluttonous in other areas of our lives, but the immediate context is this unhealthy relationship with food, whether we eat too much or whether we eat too little. Now, if the Cretans related to food by overindulging, then how should the follower of Jesus relate to food, think about food, engage with food? Now, again, please hear me. This is not about shaming. This is not about condemnation. This is about how you and I, as followers of Jesus, can be on mission in the world to tell other people how to live for Jesus. I heard one guy, uh, Greg McEwen, um, he wrote the book Essentialism, and I love his phraseology. He says, you and I must protect the asset, and our bodies and our minds and our emotions are the asset of God. And if you and I, if the asset is broken, then you and I cannot live on mission for God. So you and I must protect the asset. This is the only body we get before we get our new body in heaven. Protecting the asset is about being a good steward over what we have. And so here's the thing that I want to try to get across today. Every follower of Jesus can positively relate to food, I like this, by snacking on several morsels of biblical truth. Y'all like that? And since we're talking about food, we might as well put it in the idea. So every follower of Jesus, that includes you and me, can positively relate to food by snacking on several biblical morsels of truth. So here's the first one. 
God provides us with the gift of food. God provides us with the gift of food. You see, food is central to life, your life and mine. Before the fall and even before God gave Adam and Eve work, he said, I give you food as a gift. I give you food as a blessing. Listen to the text. This is Genesis chapter 1, verses 28 through 31. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast on of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food and it was so. So originally we were vegetarians prior to the flood. Uh, God gave us every tree, every tree fruit-bearing plant. He gave us every vegetable. Yes, he gave us Brussels sprouts and asparagus and he gave us broccoli and kids, eat your, your vegetables because it is a gift from God. It is not that your parents are trying to be mean. It's not that they're trying to be uh, upsetting to you. They're simply, they may not even know this, they're simply trying to be a good steward over the food of God because God has given us food as a gift and as a blessing. I wish God made pizza trees, and I wish he made popcorn trees, and I wish he made all, but, but he gave us vegetables first because it was a gift from him. You see, people in the scripture and you and I do not find food as a random good to be received. It is a gift and a blessing from the hand of God. Every human being and every animal God says, I am going to provide. And then after the flood, God gave us something else. Genesis 9 and 3, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you as I gave you the green plants. I now give you everything. That meat is from God. Amen. Hallelujah. May we pause right now. Vegetables alongside protein is from God. It is not some bondage. It is not a curse. Food is a gift. I just want to make the point. It is a blessing. It is a gift from God. All in all, no living creature anywhere at any time is overlooked in God's plan to meet life's most fundamental need. The original idea of giving food, it is, actually, uh, it is actually expanded throughout the entire Bible. We don't have time to go through every passage, but the Bible says a lot about food. But we have a sampling in the book of Psalms. 
particularly Psalm 104, it says, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth. Thank God for farmers. These all look to you. These all look to you, not Kroger, not Meyer, not Monticello's. We all look to God to give us our food in due season. When you give it to them and us, they and we gather it up. When you open your hand, God opens his hand. They are filled with good things. Moses addresses in addressing Israel, the Israelites about in, uh, as they are about to enter the promised land, he reminds them of how God has provided manna as food in the wilderness. Deuteronomy 8 and 3, he humbled you, causing you to hunger, and here it is, then feeding you with manna. Food comes from God. It is a gift. It is a blessing from God to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord throughout the Bible. We see that God gives food as a gift. We see that God gives food as a blessing. In the gospel, Jesus feeds the multitude twice with two fish and five loaves of bread. The fish and bread are gifts from God. In the book of Acts, we see God giving food. I'm just trying to make the point that food is a gift from God. It's not a curse. It's not bondage. God's original intention for food has always been to gift us with it. Acts chapter 14, verse 17, yet he did not leave himself without witness for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons satisfying your hearts, here it is, with food and gladness. Food is a gift from God as provision for his people, for his creation. It was always supposed to be good the way God intended for it to be. God not only provides food and the basic food, he, provide all, he provides all kinds of shapes and colors and, and tastes and textures and apples and oranges. And he literally provides all kinds of food as a gift from his hand. Look at that. Like RJ says, they, they worship at the altar of food. Look at this, they, like, like this is, look at this cake. This is from God, y'all, this is from God. Oreos. Now, y'all better not come, I got another service, y'all better not come up here and take some of this food, all right? Apple, look at, this is tomatoes, look, this is all from God. Now, now before you say, well, you know, that's, you know, uh, that's, that, some of that is, um, you know, it's, it's food in a can and all that kind of stuff. I understand that. But the key is, is that it's a blessing to be able to eat. It's a gift for you and I to be able to enjoy. It's a gift for you and I to be able to have salsa and chips. It's an actual blessing to, 
actually, this is, I don't know how this got here. This is not good. You know, Twinkies are banned in European countries. <laughs> Seriously. And even though these are still good, right? Pringles, some of my favorite. God gives us food as a gift. Well, what is our response to this gift? Our response to this gift, whether it's vegetables or whether it's fruit or whether it's meat or whether it's uh, cake or whether it's Oreos or whether it's apples or whether it's Lucky Charms, uh, our, our response to this gift from God is to eat, is to enjoy, is to say, God, thank you. God, food is God's love made edible. Food is a way of God expressing his love and his provision and his care for his people. You and I ought to savor every bite. That you and I, when we sit down for lunch today, when you and I sit down for dinner today, when we take a bite of food, we ought to thank God for it. We ought not just sit down and gobble it up, and we ought not just give a, a nice little prayer. We ought to take the time to recognize that, that, that God blessed the farmer, and the farmer actually harvested the food, and the food somehow made it to the grocery store, and God gave, you gave us enough money to purchase the food, and as we sit at this table, whether at home or at a restaurant, as we sit at this table, oh God, we recognize that this is from your hand. We didn't come up with it on our own. But I think sometimes we, 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 we go through life and it's so fast that we forget to sit and take those 32 chews, thanking God for every chew, that we even have teeth to chew the food, that we can taste it. And so food is a gift from God. And our response is to receive it as a gift. But there's a second morsel of biblical truth on which we need to snack. The enemy tempts us with, the deception, with deceptions about food. The enemy tempts us with deceptions about food. Not only do we see food as a gift from God, but the enemy used, actually used the gift of food as a source of temptation to distort our parents' first view or our parents' view of God and to lead them away from God. And he did it with food. The two most significant temptations in biblical history centers on the appeal to our stomachs. Satan used the natural appetites of the stomach to tempt Eve and ultimately to tempt Jesus. Listen to the text in Genesis chapter 3. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat? of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. God never said you shouldn't touch it. 
But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, that your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. You see, the enemy used food to convince Adam and Eve that God was not good, and he used food to move them away from God, not closer to God. He used food to convince them that God was not a a benevolent provider. God is actually removed from the equation. He is actually moved from the conversation, and the giver is now replaced with the gift. So now the food is no longer a gift. Now food has become a God because God is taken out of the equation. Satan used food as a deception, and he says, we can now use food to control our lives apart from God. It doesn't matter whether you eat too much or we eat too little. The enemy has convinced us that we don't really need God to control our lives. We have food. In that sense, food has taken the place of God and and become an idol. I I can eat a piece of cake and have instant gratification. I can eat a steak and have immediate satisfaction. I can have a great cup of coffee and get immediate comfort. We do find ourselves as RJ in over the hedge, bowing down at the altar of food. Why do I need to wait for God? I can get it instantaneously. Two minutes in the microwave and I have my food. I can control life. And we use food to control our lives. So I'm not, so, so this unhealthy view of food, I, I'm not allowed to eat certain things. I mean, unless your doctor says that certain foods you shouldn't have. But we have, we have a tendency to say, we, I, I can't eat certain things. And we have this strict dietary thinking, and it sets us up for failure. And it becomes restrictive. Or how about this? I reward myself with food or I punish myself by withholding food. I mean, reward and punishment can actually lead to binge eating and feelings of deserving punishment you're inflicting on yourself. This is like, like you know, I would, I would work out. This is one of mine. I would work out and I would say, I, 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 I actually owe myself a reward. And so I would go and buy Honey barbecue potato chips and cheddar, white cheddar popcorn. That's my favorite. And I would say, listen, I, I just like, like I just burned off a thousand calories. And then after I eat the potato chips and popcorn, I just put back on 1,200. But I used it to control my life, to reward myself, maybe even to punish myself. Or what about this? If I eat this certain food, I'll feel better about myself, I'll feel happier, I'll feel less stressed. If we eat enough, then we can calm our anxiety. If we eat less, then we can fit into our outfits and make people like us more. If we work hard, then we can reward ourselves with food. If we eat the right kinds of food, then we can feel superior to others. 
The deception is that food is my way of being God and controlling life. The enemy deceived Eve into thinking that food would make her wise like God. It was his way of convincing her that food was her way of achieving comfort. Food was her way of achieving status and attention. He convinced her that that, that she could be all that she wanted apart from God. I, I can actually get the blessing without the blesser. That's what he was trying to convince her of. I can get the gift without the giver. I think the enemy has turned the blessing of food into bondage. I think he has convinced us that the gift is a curse. The enemy has used food as a source of temptation to, to disrupt God's order in the world. This disruption has caused us to have an unhealthy and distorted relationship with food. In fact, apart from God, food becomes a caloric idol. Our bellies have become our gods. Our appetites have replaced God. And we now feel like we can control life. We can control our lives and even control our blessings by either eating or not eating. And I think this leads, it leads them away from God and it leads us away from God. Now, food is designed, again, it's, 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 it points to a deeper craving that we have. And it's a deeper craving for God. It's a hunger for God. Listen to what Deuteronomy says again. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna to teach you that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that, per, that proceeds or comes from the mouth of God. So when you and I are actually hungry, there's, yes, there's the physical hunger that you and I have, but there's, a, I want us to look beyond the physical hunger, and there's a spiritual hunger that, that, that is latent inside of us, and that is a hunger for God. This is one of the reasons why you and I fast. Fasting is all about going without food so we can actually point to a deeper hunger, so we can satisfy a deeper hunger, and that deeper hunger is is to go after God. It's to go after God and let his words shape us. So again, later Jesus is tempted, Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. I, wanna, I won't go there. Satan uses food again. And Jesus quotes the Deuteronomy 8.3 passage, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so Jesus invited God into his conversation about food. And as a result, he recognized that you cannot... You and I cannot satisfy spiritual hunger with physical food. And so, when we see, when we see this, we see that the enemy uses food as a temptation. He takes the gift and he makes it a curse. He takes the gift and he distorts it so that We say, I need this to survive. I need this when life breaks down, so I open up a bag of chips, and this is now my comfort. 
When, when, when life goes bad and when things don't work out, like, like we, we, we come here and we bow at the altar of food and we say, no, this is the way that I, can, I can't control life out there, but I can't control life here. And so we sit and we, ooh, that's salty. And he convinces us that that will satisfy the hunger. The reality is, it will never satisfy the deeper hunger. Here's the last, here's the last. That's, that's really good, though. <laughs> this brings us to our third morsel of truth. The gospel of Jesus is an opportunity to reshape our thinking and our relationship to food. The gospel of Jesus is an opportunity to reshape our thinking and our relationship to food. Food is a gift from God. It can be a temptation to lead us away from God, and it can be the perfect occasion for the gospel to reshape our thinking and relationship with food. God gave us the gift. Satan tempts us with this gift. Adam and Eve gave in to the temptation. And yet Jesus comes to save our souls, to restore our relationship with our heavenly father. But that's not the only thing. He actually came to restore broken things. And one of the broken things in our lives is our relationship to food. It's the way we think about it, the way we engage with it, the, the way we look for it to, to comfort us, to, 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 actually, to actually be our God. And, and Jesus says, whoa, wait a minute. God says, whoa, wait a minute. That was never the intention. And so I'm now sending my son so that you might have a relationship with me. And out of that relationship with me, now you'll be able to understand what I've given you as a gift. And that gift of food should be taken in moderation. And so, listen to what Paul says to the Colossians. Colossians chapter 2. He says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. So walking in Jesus includes food. Walking in Jesus includes humility. Walking in Jesus includes sex. Walking in Jesus includes alcohol. Walking in Jesus literally includes every part of our lives, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. Verse 16, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. If, Christ, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? According to the human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom and in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they uh, are no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Now, this is what, this is, again, a difficult passage to understand, but here it is in, in, in short, that, that, that the moment you and I trust Jesus as our Savior, the Holy Spirit 
takes up residence in our lives. And now we don't need regulations. We don't need rules to rule our lives, to control our lives. We have the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God is the one who actually helps us to say, you know something, if you eat too much of this cake, you're going to get sick. If you eat too much of the potato chips, you're going to get sick. The Holy Spirit is the GPS system on how you and I now relate to food. The Holy Spirit will convince us through wise counsel that, whoa, wait a minute, too much sugar is not good for you. Uh, things that, are, um, that, are, that are, are, are always processed are not good for you. The Holy Spirit lives in us to disciple us even in relationship to food. Does this make sense? Now, again, we don't talk about this because you better not talk about my food. Don't talk about my food because that's the only thing I have left to control. And now, Marvin, you're meddling in the last thing that I have control over. And the Spirit of God says, I want to have all of it. And again, it's not as a punishment. It is not as condemnation. It truly is. This sense I have the, I'm looking out for your best. We have to protect the asset. And protecting the asset is we are stewards of this body. This is the only one we get. Only one we have. And we walk in Christ. And part of walking in Christ is actually saying, Jesus I am surrendering my desires. I'm surrendering my appetites. I'm surrendering my cravings. I'm surrendering all these things that, that show that my life is out of control. If, if I, listen, if I can sit up, and I have done this, if I can sit up and eat an entire bag of skinny popcorn, skinny pop, just because it says skinny doesn't mean that it's... If I can sit up and eat an entire family bag of skinny popcorn, it says that I have lost control of food. If I can sit up and eat an entire bag of honey barbecue potato chips, it says that I have lost control and the spirit is not controlled. The gospel is not shaping my thinking regarding food. So, Food is a gift. The enemy uses it to tempt us and deceive us. The gospel actually helps us to think differently and engage differently with food. And um, there's only one prohibition. That prohibition is just no gluttony. Just like the one prohibition with alcohol is no drunkardness. But you and I ought to be wise we ought to submit our control to God to say, God, how do you want me to approach? How do you want me to deal with food? Now, there are people in this room, you, are, you may be vegan, and maybe the Spirit of God has led you there. We say, praise God. Maybe some of you are vegetarian, and God has led you there. We say, praise God. If you decided that, hey, I'm going to be a meat eater and like, like, God has led you there, praise God. 
This is not about keto. This is not about Mediterranean. This is not about low carb and high protein. It's not about any of that. It truly is about how the Spirit of God leads our lives around this very basic idea of food. So I'm going to invite my good friend Patty Rummins up. And, um, and Patty is going to share her story of how the Spirit of God is reshaping her thinking around food. And so, Patty, thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing. Let's welcome Patty to the platform. Thank you, Marvin. Hi, Trinity family. I've had an inclination to destructive food habits almost as long as I can remember. My earliest memories involving food and body image start around five years of age. Until then, I was secure in who I was, in my identity. My biological grandparents, who I'll refer from now on as mom and dad, raised me as their own, and I was well-loved, nurtured, welcomed, wanted, and well-cared for. I knew I was amazing and that God made me special. I know the exact day my identity was vandalized, and I began to have an overwhelming sense of being unwelcome, unwanted, fearful, unacceptable, and ashamed. From that point on, my identity would continue to become distorted and self-focused. It was the earliest marker of what would become decades of bondage. So I was in kindergarten, right? And we had worked hard on these Valentine's mailboxes. And I was so excited to hand out and receive Valentine's. My sensitive and social heart was thrilled with all the words of affirmation and love coming my way. So imagine my absolute delight when I pulled a big, beautiful, silky smooth envelope from my gluey, construction-papered, heart-covered shoebox. My heart was overjoyed that someone would like me so much. They went to the store and bought me a special card that nobody else seemed to get. I carefully opened that envelope and took out a thick, embossed, sparkly valentine. And I opened it. And your fat was scrawled at the bottom. I, it is sad, right? <laughs> that kind of harassment and bullying would continue through every class, in every grade, at every school. What happened at school, school skewed all of my relationships, even with my family. I was afraid to delve into fr friendships, sports, or anything adventurous, anything where I might fail or feel rejected. Looking back, I felt diminished, so I tried to make myself smaller. There wasn't a time I wasn't arranging how I sat so my thighs looked thinner, stooping my shoulders to make my height less noticeable, or feeling keenly aware of what I ate in the presence of others. There wasn't a time I wasn't comparing myself to other children who seemed smaller, cuter, and just all around better. Many women in my family had body image issues, and they judged others with the same harsh measuring tape that they used on themselves, mostly centered around weight. As I grew, I did, in fact, develop a weight problem. Or was it a food problem? We didn't really have any negative connotations in my family um, surrounding food. We were food secure. My mom was a great cook. I wasn't very restricted on food. I mean, it was the 80s. We had Hostess snacks, Otter Pops, Kool-Aid, and soda, and these were all plentiful, but so were veggies, fruits, and lean meats. 
We didn't have any unusual food struggles, just the usual ones over peas hidden under the dinner plate and my very strong aversion to cooked carrots. I experienced nothing concerning food that was really unpleasant or out of the ordinary. I don't know when the sneaking of food began. I'm not sure when I started to wait for the all clear to raid the cupboards for jars of pickles or frosting or peanut butter, the less noticed foods. When confronted, I lied and denied and then I doubled down on that deception. After my dad died, we ate a lot of fast food and I mean a lot of fast food. It was fast, it was easily accessible, and we could eat it on the go. The empty chair at the table made both mom and me more likely to eat in the car or in front of the TV, so we didn't have to grieve that empty space there. We moved so that mom could be closer to her older children and her grandchildren, and so I could have a fresh start at a new school. How unsurprising, really, that changing geography didn't change me or my problems. It was the same stuff, it was just in a different place. Eating became more than just an avoidance of grief. Fast food and sugar filled a void I didn't understand. I didn't know it, but I was suffering with depression and anxiety. My emotions were big and hard to regulate. I was filled with rage and uncertainty. And if I was denied access to sugar or fast food, my responses seemed crazed and even violent. What I now know is that I was using fast food and sugar to self-medicate. The sugar and empty carbs were boosting my energy and feelings of peace. Scientifically speaking, I was serotonin deficient and depressed. Eating empty carbs and sugars generated a dopamine response, and it tricked my brain into thinking it was working as God had intended. But self-medicating was my way of just avoiding my real problems. God tells us in Job that we can't heal a wound by saying it's not there. Eating sugar and addictive fast food was the equivalent of sticking a Band-Aid on a gushing wound. It only works for a little while, and you need more and more and more. It's never enough. The heartbreaking cycle of self-medicating and denying my real food issues followed me wherever I went. Although I would have told you that Jesus loves me, deep down, I just knew that I wasn't acceptable to him. Food, weight issues, an unhealthy body image, and the guilt and the fear and the shame and everything that comes with them clouded my relationship with God and everyone else. I didn't see God as a creator who loves me just as I am, heart, soul, and body, but as a finger-shaking judge who was disappointed in my gluttony and laziness, which were labels I actually put on myself. God didn't put that on me because that is not how our God works. During these years, I took beautiful verses meant to bless and encourage and twisted them to affirm my false beliefs. For instance, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, this is a beautiful passage about placing your whole self before a merciful, loving, kind God and embracing this gift called life in every way so that even your everyday routines, your just walking around kind of life, are acts of worship and gratitude. But instead, I misconstrued this verse to rip at my body and my psyche. I was just thinking, God wouldn't have value my fat body. Sometimes I would even sit in church feeling ashamed and judged if we were talking about food or the like. The problem for some, of us is though, for some of us who struggle with food issues is that we wear our addictions in plain sight, so it's harder to mask them and pretend they don't exist. 
Through every stage of life, I kept self-medicating with food, and food became an obsession. If I wasn't eating food, I was thinking about how to get food, or when I would get food, where was I going, and was I going to eat enough when I got there? I'd pre-eat before I went out with others, so it would look like I was eating a normal amount. I'd go to fast food drive-ins and binge on multiple meals at once. Sometimes I'd pretend I was ordering for multiple people because of my shame, but I'd eat it all in secret, isolated, ashamed. I tried. I tried to control the obsession in a dozen ways, binging, purging, starving pills. I even tried other addictions like cigarettes or alcohol, but nothing, nothing felt like food. I tried to get help. I went to doctors, pastors, therapists, personal trainers, Bible studies, and gyms and received so much unhelpful advice like eat more or eat less, move more, watch your calories, try this diet, do this program, read your Bible more and just pray more. All you need is grit. All you need is self-control. All you need is willpower. If you just were motivated, take this pill, have this surgery. But I knew pills and surgery wouldn't help me because I didn't eat because I was hungry. I ate past the hunger. For me, food wasn't about hunger anymore. Um, so I belong to the Celebrate Recovery community. Hi, guys. <laughs> My life is being transformed as a result. But I went there to work on codependency and anger. I didn't go there for my relationship with food. I didn't want God to touch that. Still, as I worked through the CR tools, uh, I began to let God break down the solid brick spiritual walls I built over years and years of just trying to survive. He helps me want to face all of my hurts and not just some. As I began praying for healing from my obsession with food, I would have small victories here and there, but nothing seemed to stick or last very long. Then came the day I realized I was close to killing myself with food. I wasn't even fighting the addiction anymore. I didn't even want to fight it anymore. I convinced myself that I didn't care. It all felt hopeless. But with encouragement and support, I asked God to give me the desire to be healed and freed from food addiction because I could no longer manufacture that desire for myself. And God answers. God answered. The more I, chose, I choose to face the truth that I just can't fix these issues on my own, the more God works in me for change. God has provided a doctor that helps me and works with me to get the right medication for depression and anxiety, so I'm not self-medicating with sugar and fast food. I'm utilizing prescribed medication that helps my brain use serotonin and dopamine as it should. God inspired a friend to share her own struggles and successes with food addiction with me, and she offered her support. Now we meet weekly, and we are doing this food obsession fight together. God has put others in my life that also struggle, and we don't fix each other, but we share our lives and experiences and strength and hope. And perhaps the best transformation of all, over the last few months, I've been taking more loving care of myself, treating myself the way God wants me to be treated, with gentleness and compassion and care and kindness. My new relationship with food, it isn't perfect, but I'm learning food is just food. It's not a reward. It's not a punishment. It's not a moral failing or something to boast in. It's simply what it is, a gift from God. 
I'm learning how to find a new kind of joy in my relationship with food and how to be honest in my dealings with it. In Celebrate Recovery, we say we are as sick as our secrets. I want to choose full life, so that means no, no secrets. As I healed from food addiction, I'm learning how to accept and to be grateful for my body instead of critical. I appreciate how strong my body is and how resilient. Instead of feeling shame about how big my arms are, I'm just grateful I can use them to hug people. Instead of figuring out how to cover up my stomach when I sit to talk to a friend, I can be fully present with them. Instead of worrying about how my body looks as I pray or worship, I can be fully engaged with our God. These days, I see fruits of all the work that God and I are doing together. He is healing my heart. He is peeling off the negative labels that I've worn for decades. He is showing me my ways. She is showing me the ways that I worship at the altars of food and comparison so I can stop that. And he shows me that I do these things not because of this character flaw, but from deep wounds that only he can heal. He is teaching me how to give and receive healthy, godly support. He has provided me with people who love me and who speak truth and encouragement over me. And he is restoring me to that childlike security and radical self-acceptance that I once had. No, my relationship with food is not perfect, but God's relationship with me is. Thanks for letting me share, guys. That, that is what transparency and vulnerability looks like, look like in the body of Jesus. Patty, thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing. And and your recovery is all of our recovery. We're all recovering from something. Is that you just chose this morning to share it publicly for that. We're super, super grateful. And we're, we're, we're going to walk with you and hopefully you walk with us and hug us with those big arms that you have. And um, again, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, friends, part of our discipleship is how we relate to food. It's not a one-off. It's not something out there. It truly is a part of following Jesus, being transformed by him, and being on mission with him for the purpose of multiplication. It's not something that's out there. It truly is a part of our relationship with God. Let's stand. Um, to follow up, on March 11th, March 11th, um, on a Saturday morning from like 9 to 1, we're still working through the details, we're going to actually have a food and health seminar. Um, what does the Bible say? What are some of the nitty-gritty kinds of things about this? I gave you a 30,000-foot view, and we're going to get down to some nitty-gritty things on how you and I can actually be... Um, disciples of Jesus as we relate uh, to food. If you have a prayer concern, elders and deacons and prayer team members will be down front to pray with you um, as we leave. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of food. We pray you would make us aware and attentive to your spirit when there are temptations and deceptions and lies around food. 
And then we invite you, Holy Spirit, to use the gospel to reshape our thinking, our relationship, and our engagement with food. Because deep down inside, we know only you can satisfy the deep cravings in our lives. And today we surrender more of ourselves to you so that we might live lives that honor you. We pray that you would empower us to protect the asset, the asset that you've given us uh, to engage the world, to share the gospel with the world. And if we're sick, we can't do that. And we ask your blessing upon your people, upon this church. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.